Hey, welcome. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Check the Mark. Normally here, I do a little intro and then get to my guests, but we're just going to we're gonna do it live. I got Sam Query. Sam, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks, Mark, for having me on. Yeah. So, Sam, what, what have you been up to? Everyone saw you last in New York. I know you took a little time with the family. You know, talk about that and then where you are today. Yeah, so last tournament was the U.S. Open, which is right around Labor Day. Uh, my family and I went right from New York. We went to Idaho on vacation for about a month, which was really fun. It's cool to do something different. We stayed um, outside of Sandpoint, and uh, we went, you know, went fishing, went in the lake, went hiking, just kind of like different things that we normally do, and, and had a blast. And then uh, for the last, I guess, month or so, we've been back home, kind of getting into like the the routine of uh, more of a normal life. Our little two and a half year old has preschool three days a week. Um, uh, you know, we also have uh, another boy, Owen, who's almost one who's, it's, you know, if you have little kids, it's, it's nice. It's been fun to travel, but you know, it's nice to be at home and have your own stuff and be in a routine. And then for me personally, I've been, uh, I've been playing a lot of pickleball. <laughs> well, we'll get to the pickleball in a little bit, <laughs> but first, how much of a game changer is it when they start preschool? Oh my gosh! It's so our oldest is at uh, you know preschool daycare, whatever you want to right. call it, uh, three days a week from nine to twelve, and it's great. It's great for like my wife and I love it. Uh, you know, you get a little time for yourself, and then our son loves it too. I mean, he walks right into class, happy as can be, and uh, you know, two out of the three days is like bum to leave. <laughs> That's huge. So Sam, I want to get to the tennis. So the last time I think we spoke was in New York in the locker room, and I told you it's really been. A pleasure to watch your career play out and to see your evolution as a player and as a person. You know, one thing I always kind of wanted to ask you: Did it bother you early on how maybe some people characterized you in the media, kind of making it sound like you were a high school player and sort of lucked into being a pro player, stuff like that? Because I saw how hard you were working away from the court. Yeah, a little bit. You know, it wasn't the, I guess the what you would call a traditional path now with a lot of the top uh, players were like homeschool all the time um, and, and tennis 24 seven, you know, I, I played other sports until I was 15. And then, you know, once I got to high school, I was only playing tennis. I was, I was in normal high school half the time. I was kind of doing an independent study half the time, but um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have a, basically a full-time coach, this guy, Grant Doyle, when I was 16 and, and we were practicing and training and, and, and working hard every day. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it was because of my personality. I was pretty, pretty laid back and pretty relaxed on the exterior. But, um, no, you know, we, we put in a lot of work and traveled to a lot of tournaments. And, um, you know, all that kind of led to, fortunately, being, being a very good 18, 19-year-old and making my way kind of into the top 100 pretty quickly. Yeah, those first couple of years on tour kind of coincided when I first started working for the USTA at Carson. And man, I, I saw those long days, those eight, nine hour days over there, two practices, lifting in between, hitting the track after. You know, you were working, you were working so hard. How, how do you think that sped up your path? And I've heard you talk about how the top guys make it pretty quick through those middle levels, through those challengers. How is that for you, that progression? Yeah, you know, something for when I just, I was going to go to USC, play college tennis, and then, um, you know, the, the summer before school started, let's say it was one or two months before school started, I, I made the, the decision to turn pro. Something kind of clicked in my brain where it was like, all right, you're, you're not going to college. You're a pro now. Like, let's flip the switch and, and be a pro. 
And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I was kind of able to do that at 18. And I, I still remember it kind of like that first day of practice where I was technically a pro. I decided not to go to college. I just remember, like, getting up a little earlier, having a little better breakfast, uh, you know, working a little harder at tennis, putting a little more time in the track. And, and I feel like I just, I just did everything every day. I just practiced every day, went to the gym every day, went to and played all the tournaments of the day every day, tried hard every day, and you know, just did everything right. And, you know, the good results came after that. You know, one of the things that always struck me also about you, I felt like you were one of the best players out there in terms of having the ability to kind of stop and smell the roses, to sort of enjoy the life on tour as much as you could. Was it a conscious decision that just kind of in line with your personality? How was that? Yeah, I think it was a little bit more in line with my personality. I mean, just maybe growing up, you know, like I alluded to earlier, playing all sports. Um, you know, I, I was always, even from a young age, I like going to concerts and and going to watch my, my friends play their sports or do whatever they were in. So I had a pretty broad kind of um, array of things that I was interested in. So it was fun, you know, traveling all these all these tournaments for the most part. They were in great cities. And, um, you know, you, you, you take a lot of first round losses when you're when you're playing tennis for all these years. And so you've got a you've got a week to not only practice, but to enjoy these great parts of the world. So I always try to do my best by going to, you know, exciting restaurants or going to see shows or plays or concerts or whatever the the cultural um you know kind of phenomenons were in whatever city you were in like go explore it and, and go check it out because that's something um you know not a lot of people get to do so can you tell the story about the uh taylor swift concert in london where i met my wife <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah it was like the first date my wife and i well my now wife were going on this was back in 2000 uh, I should probably know this. 15, I think. Um, so she was, Taylor Swift was playing a concert in Hyde Park, and I was playing a tournament in Nottingham, England, which, uh, for those who don't know, is about an hour. You've been there, Mark. An hour yeah, train yeah, yeah. ride to London, probably. Yeah. And hour, so hour I, I, I lost in the, you know, the concert started at eight, and like for whatever reason, you know, you had, I had to get to Will Call by, I, I think it was like seven o'clock to pick up the tickets. And, uh, you know, I lost the final there to Dennis Istaman, like 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. Um, I remember, like, my sister was with me. I had a coach, his wife. And I literally, like, ran in right after the hour after losing the final, showered, like, sprinted at the train and basically told all of them, like, I'll see you later. Like, I have to get on this train and I have to meet this girl at this concert and pick up these tickets. And, like, that is my priority right now. And we'll talk about the match. And, and Wimbledon started like two days later. We'll talk about that another time. But like, I need to make this show with this girl. No food, no treatment. I'm out of there. Oh, no. No food, no treatment. Couldn't have felt worse the next morning. <laughs> but it was worth it. But we're married now with two kids. So, uh, you know, it was worth it. Along those same lines, Sam, do you think that ability to sort of enjoy life off the court, does that contribute to your ability to play for so long on tour? Um, yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, it, it was great, too, that having my wife travel with me for pretty much the last like six seven years and and the last year or two on and off it, it was difficult traveling with covid but having my my two boys get to travel to some tournaments too that kind of prolonged things um but yeah you know i i think just really kind of stepping back and uh you know after you've gone a a, a few weeks of 
loss after loss after loss, which everyone has done. If you can step back and say, hey, I, I'm getting to play tennis in New York and Rome and Paris and London, um, life's pretty good. And, and these are some experiences that um, it, it's so unique and so amazing. And I'll, I'll remember them forever. And so that sometimes is bigger than the tennis matches themselves. That's a good point. Let's talk about some of those matches that you're going to remember forever. In 2016, you beat Novak at Wimbledon. And I remember being on the practice court, actually, with Shelby, that first court at Arangi, the one that's a gym now, and looking up at the scoreboard during our practice, and we were like, whoa, Sam's about to win. What do you remember about that day? Um, well, I don't know if you remember. It was two days. Two the days. Match was, it was, the match was played over two days, and I want to say we had, like, four rain delays. Uh, so it was... Uh, it was really up and down. On, on a side note, I got to, I got to uh, take eight Wimbledon towels from that match. Because those who don't <laughs> know, serious. every time there's a rain delay, they put the nice Wimbledon towel. You just take them every time. But, um, you know, I, I, I was up 6-1-7-6, and then we got called for darkness. And so uh, went back the next day, quickly lost the third set, like 6-3 maybe. A pretty routine 6-3, 6-4. And I kind of remember going and my, looking at, you know, telling myself in my head, like, ah, yeah, it was fine, but I'll probably lose now. Yeah, uh, yeah, where you know, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to tell yourself that, but I, I think I did think that. And then, you know, he served for the fourth set at either 5-4, 6-5, and I broke him. Um, and then that just put all the pressure back on him because then you, you kind of get into a tiebreaker. I've got a big serve. Um, you know, I have nothing to lose. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, when, when he hit that forehand wide on match point, I remember jumping into the air as, as high as I could. And I, I think at the time, you know, he had won the U.S. Open. He had won the Australian Open. He had won the French Open. So he was going for, you know, not the calendar Grand Slam the same year, but for four in a row. So you had this ability to take the racket out of guys' hands, particularly in big matches. You know, I'm thinking about Queens when you beat Marty in the final there, beating Rafa and Acapulco, the Novak match, the Andy Murray match the following year. What did those matches feel like for you like or was there anything in particular that you felt was clicking when you were putting up like those sorts of wins you know nothing that was clicking I, I always felt like I you know and this is going to be a good trait or a bad trait and I always felt like I played better against the better competition um, you know so I had a lot of big wins in my career I also had a lot of what you would consider you know rough losses but you know I, I I think a lot of times when I was playing those big guys, just because I feel like my upside of my game was so high, if from an early on point in the match, if I if I was at one all, two all, three all, four all, I would just gain a lot of momentum and a lot of confidence with every with every hold of my serve and with every game I won, and I was able to kind of just build the the confidence, I guess you would say, against these other guys, and I and I think they could sense that oh my gosh, like hey, when Sam was playing well, he's really dangerous. And the closer this gets, you know, the more time he has to kind of try to lock in and meet my level or, or match my level. And, and um, that's kind of what happened in a lot of those big matches. Was there a top guy that you really liked to play? Someone you felt, man, I, I got this guy. Um, not like a top guy. You know, I, I only beat Rafa one time. I lost to him four other times. But every time I played Rafa, I, I never felt like I was blown off the court. When I was 18, I played him and I, and I got a set. And then again at 19, I played him on clay and won a set and then beat him in Acapulco. For whatever reason, I, I think maybe being tall and, and he likes to hit that heavy forehand looper to my backhand, it was, I can kind of lean into it and hit it at kind of my chest level and it wouldn't affect me like others. But 
he was the one guy where I'm not going to say I liked playing him because I lost to him the overwhelming majority of the time. But I felt like I felt like I could hang with him sometimes more than the other guys. There was times that Novak, uh, who I also beat a couple times, but there was times that Novak would take sets off me 6-0 and take the rackets out of my hand. You know, Federer, I never got more than four games in a set. Uh, so those guys were a little more uncomfortable for me. So where was that match where Novak got you 6-0 and you came back and won? So that was at the Paris Indoors, the Masters Series, and that was 2012. Um, I remember I was down 6-0, And at the time, I was working with a physio, this guy Casey. I remember I looked at him saying, I want to get one game and I want to go home. Uh, it was the last tournament of the season. You don't want to lose 0-0. It's just, it, it's embarrassing. And you're down 6-0-2-0. You start thinking about it. Um, and then, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I think he just kind of played a sloppy game and gave me a break back. And uh, for whatever reason, it just kind of got me back in the match and I was able to, to pull off the upset there and uh, turn what could have been a really embarrassing situation into like, at the time, like one of my best situations. So, Sam, those of us who know you know how in tune throughout your career you were with the string tension. What's it going to be like now in pickleball? No strings to adjust. You just got your paddle. Um, yeah, you know, it's so you're right. You know, so tennis, there's the string tension. And, and at times in my career, I was stringing at 70 pounds. At times I was down in, to 30 pounds. So with pickleball, uh, it's just the paddle. You can weight your pickleball paddle um, <laughs> you know, differently to your, to your specs and your liking. So I'm, I'm in the process of kind of figuring out what weight I like, but yes, the, the fact that I don't have to deal with strings and string tensions is a huge blessing. <laughs> so give me your honest assessment of the level of professional pickleball when you watch it. So, so you want to know what I think of the, the top level? Basically? Yeah. Like these guys are pretty good. So, these guys are okay. Obviously, like a Ben Johns, I think we both will say, man, that, that guy is probably a level above the rest of the competition. Right. But so, yeah. So, so Ben Johns has separated himself from every other pickleball player. I, I do think then there's a group of like two to two to five or six players that are kind of that next tier. Tyson McGuffin, Riley Newman, uh, J.W. Johnson. There's, there's some great players in there. I'm, I'm missing a few as well um, that have kind of solidified themselves as the next group. And then there's a bunch of other really good players that I think are trying to get to that next group, um, which, which I hope to start in that group. And I'm hoping to work my way up to that, that tier two group uh, eventually. When I watch the points, when I watch the, the top guys play, I see they're aggressive on certain balls, but I feel like a tennis player like you, someone who is as accomplished as you, your ability with the racket, I feel like you're going to have an ability to be much more aggressive on many more balls, like taking advantage of your, you know, your, your quick hand and the relaxed wrist and the racket head speed. Is, is that how you see the game sort of evolving? That is how I see it evolving. And I think a lot of the, the pickle players see it evolving like that way as well. But um, look, I'm going to try to go into the game and, and use my strengths the best I can. I'm going to try to hopefully, you know, no one really hits an aggressive pickleball serve right now. I'm hoping to do a more aggressive serve. I want to get rid of the, not get rid of the dinks, but less dinks and, mm -hmm. and go more, and try to focus more on the reactionaries and some maybe some more movement and crossing and, and things like that to try to kind of just throw a wrinkle in the game and throw a wrinkle at some of these guys and, and do things that they haven't seen before, and, and hopefully that benefits me. Like be a disruptor. Exactly. I've got a, I've got a text with some buddies. We call ourselves the Pickleball Disruptors, <laughs> and, and that's what we're trying to do. So 
ESPN.com right now, the tennis section, the top couple stories are all pickleball. You know, there's this controversy brewing, you know, pickle tennis, you know, we're losing tennis courts to pickle courts. Where do you stand on that? Um, look, I've, tennis has been my sport forever. Um, but at the same time, like I've, I've been playing pickleball for five or six years. I like pickleball. If, if I owned a tennis club right now, I would, I would listen to what my clientele wanted, but it appears that most of them want to play pickleball over tennis at the moment. And I think if you're not, um, you know, redoing your tennis courts into pickleball courts, you're falling behind and you're, um, you know, you're going to feel that as a, as a club or as a, you know, a park or, or wherever you, the people play. I, I think it's, um, I think it's a fun sport. I think it's easier to learn than tennis. I think, um, you know, most people want to play doubles where, where tennis, a lot of it is single. So, um, I, I'm a fan of pickleball. I have been for a long time. I also like tennis, but, um, pickleball is what's riding hot right now. And, and that's what I'm going with. Yeah. I think pickleball is really fun too. Once you get used to the little intricacies of, you know, of the game or the things that are a little different from tennis, I think there's a there's a real advantage, obviously, to having played a high level of tennis. You're coming over. Noah Rubin's going to start playing in pickleball in one of the leagues. Do you see this as a trend that's going to continue? Um, I do. Yeah. You know, look, I'm excited to be uh, in one of the leagues next year, which which will be announced soon. Uh, I'll be curious to see where Noah ends up. Um, and I, I do think we're going to see more tennis players. I, I don't know if we're going to see guys like who are top 100 in the world just quit playing tennis and go play pickleball. It, you know, financially speaking, they're still so far apart. But I do think we're going to see um, more good college players say, hey, like, you know, I can go and try to play tennis and, and work my way up the rankings, or I can go and play pickleball, and I could probably make an impact on the pickleball court much quicker uh, than I could on the tennis court. There's an element of inclusiveness in pickleball that I think the the game fosters. Because the learning curve isn't so steep, you can do something. This is something that you can go do with your buddies who don't play good tennis, or I can go do with my buddies and have a laugh. Doesn't matter. Like we can't go play tennis together if they're terrible and and have a good time. But we can go play pickle and you know bring some food, bring some drinks, whatever. And we have a good time. I think that's that's what attracts people to the game. Absolutely, we went with our um, our neighbors uh, about a week ago uh, to play some pickleball. They've never played pickleball before, and right off the bat, like they could keep a rally going, and we we can have some fun points. They can hit ten in a row. Um, you know, afterwards, like this is amazing. Like, can we go play again? Or just like you said, if we went to the tennis courts, it probably would have been a little more frustrating. You know, you might make one ball, might miss another one. It's just tennis is much more technical, much more difficult. Um, and these people that go and play pickleball, like I just, like I just said, you can pick it up in one day. And I think that's a, a very enticing kind of aspect of the game. Just with, with your brief window into this pickle world, what would you take from that back into the tennis world? If you could, if someone put you in charge of, you know, of, of recreational tennis or of pro tennis or how tournaments are run, what changes would you make? Oh my gosh. That's a loaded question. <laughs> I'd... <laughs> I have a bad answer for you. I'd make a lot of changes, but I don't even know what they would be. Because there would be you know, so I, many. I, there, there's so many. Um, you know, not to say that that things aren't run run well, but I think uh, there's so many small little changes that you can make everywhere to make the game, uh, you know, more accessible. The ranking system um, easier How about to the follow. Scheduling? 
the, the scheduling, like, you know. How do, how do I take my family to go see Sam Querrey play the French Open when you don't even know when you're going to play? When do I buy tickets? Right, 100%. Schedule, you know what? You make a great point. Scheduling is the number one thing I would change. I would put not before times for every match. Um, I, would, I would try to, um, at some of the smaller tournaments, go back to a round-robin format, actually, that they did agree. back in the day, where you, you know, hey, guaranteed I have Sam Query or, or Novak Djokovic, whoever it is, I have them guaranteed to play three days, so I know I can put them at Monday night, Wednesday night, and Friday night, and I can sell it for, for four or five months. Um, I know that's easier said than done, but I think you know scheduling would be probably the, uh, the number one thing I would change. Nice. Well, Sam, listen, I know you're busy. I know you want to enjoy that time while Forge at daycare and, you know, <laughs> have nothing to do or, or, or watch Owen. So I really appreciate you coming on. What, what's the rest of the year look like for you really quickly before we get into 2023? It's, it's pretty basic. Honestly, I'm just I'm practicing pickleball until December 31st. Um, I need to I need to improve on all aspects of the game and, and get ready for for 2023 because I want to come in and make an impact on the game. And if I don't practice, I'm not going to do that. So that's kind of what I'm focused on for the next two months. And let's give a shout out to your boy, Wes Burroughs, who's the number one, probably pickle ambassador for sure in LA, maybe in the country. You guys are maybe going to be doing this together, right? Maybe in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, Wes is, has been my buddy since we've been uh, 10 years old, but we, we kind of started actually playing together about six years ago. Um, and yes, we're going to be playing a, a bunch of doubles next year, doing some clinics. So hopefully, uh, you know, getting to play with like literally one of your best friends will make it, um, you know, a ton of fun. And we're, we're excited to get out there and, and see what we can do. Awesome, man. Listen, thanks for coming on. Say hi to Abby for me and uh, wish you the best of luck. We're going to be following everything next year. All right. Thank you. Once again, big thank you to Sam. For coming on great interview great chat with him always a pleasure talking tennis and everything else with him a lot of tennis still happening out there women's tour finals right around the corner the men are playing this week in basel and vienna a few more weeks before they wrap things up a lot of challenger action right now around the globe big women's challenger in mexico a bunch of men's challengers all over the place a lot is on the line right now talking about australian open seedings australian open Qualies seedings, people trying to fight to get into the main draw of Australia, people trying to fight to get into the qualies. So if you get a chance, you know, use that ATP Tour website. They televise all the challengers on the website. Go to the challenger section, find Challenger TV, and you can find this action from around the globe. There's more tennis than just what's on Tennis Channel. Before we go, big shout out to friend of the pod, Jesse Pagula. Jesse won the second tournament of her career last week. That was the 1000 event in Guadalajara. The first 1,000 of her career, the first title at a 1,000 in her career. Also the first time she's played in Mexico in her career. So big milestone for her, getting that W, getting kind of over that hump. She's had a lot of close calls this year. I saw a stat on Twitter, the amount of times she's made it deep in one of these big tournaments, one of these slams or thousands, and lost to the champion was nearly every time she's played one of these tournaments. So good for her. She's up to career high number three in the world, and she is my dark horse to win the tour final. So watch out for Jess next week in Fort Worth. This has been Check the Mark. Hit me up on Twitter. Share this. Subscribe, rate, and review. Tell a friend. Talk to you later. I'm out.